Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Football Ramble. The FA Cup has been won and London is red. It's Monday the 3rd of August. I'm Jules Breach. I'm Jim Campbell. And I'm Vidushina Hantaraja. Well, what a weekend. The FA Cup has been won by Arsenal. London is red. It's the final showpiece of the domestic season. And Arsenal have won silverware. Jim Campbell, Arsenal fans all around the world, how are you feeling? Uh, amazing. Just, it's so good. Like, How has this season, the season Arsenal have had, ended with silverware? It's like the most 2020 thing ever. If you could pick a joke team to win something, incredibly, it probably would have been us this year. And I'm, I'm just delighted with it. The turnaround from when Arteta came in. To think that Granite Xhaka, um, you know, having the situation he had when he, when he was subbed off and, and walked off really slowly and everyone booed him and it was all horrible. To think that was this year, let alone this season. Can't believe that, that was this season. Mental, Isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And I'm just, I'm just delighted with not just the... The result in the final, obviously, but the performance and the performance against Man City to get there as well. And like, yeah, it's brilliant. I love it. I love it so much. And so so you're actually glowing. I know, right? He is, isn't he? It's winning stuff. It's the best bit. (laughs) (laughs) Goals and winning stuff. The best bits. The fact that the FA Cup was on August the 1st as well, it's very strange. It just sums up what has been an extremely weird season. Uh, But as you say, Jim, an amazing victory for Arsenal and... They they just love the FA Cup, don't they? Their fourteenth yeah. FA Cup win, which is a club record. They've made history. Yeah, or or it's the record, isn't it? In yeah. terms of the, the, the one in the most, which is absolutely brilliant. And I think like I don't know, it was a bad start, obviously, and you kind of you fear the worst in any big occasion game like that, where one team looks like they're going to dominate early on. But um, I did when when um, Kovacic got booked the first time, I did feel a bit of confidence because. I don't know if you noticed Granite Xhaka's reaction to the foul, but he basically did a little break dance. I was like, ooh, that seems confident. Ooh, I don't think okay. you do a little break dance yeah. on the pitch unless you know something, unless you, you feel deep down you're going to win. Um, and I, yeah, the, I, one of the things that's impressed me so much about, about the display was that they did manage to turn it around. And Mikel Arteta has made a lot of noise about how that's something that he's been trying to instill, the belief that they can go on and win, which is odd because... We've also lost a lot of games from winning positions, but like it, clearly it's not the sort of thing you just like where you just click your fingers and it happens overnight. So the timing of that working out has been good. And I think something I've not really seen a lot about 
is how significant the first post-Venger bit of silverware is. Because I thought it would go on a lot longer than that. And Mikel Arteta to, to win a trophy in his first really half season as a manager is is massive. And it's it's, it's going to make such a big difference to Arsenal's you know, near future, especially with qualification for Europe coming um, out of that as well. There was so much said before the game about both managers going head to head because it's both of their first full seasons in charge of a Premier League club and what it what a boost it would give to either of them for winning it going into next season but there was a sense that Arsenal massively needed the win more so for them to get over the line Vish and to turn around going going 1-0 down so early on in the game and managing to win the match was actually quite exemplary of Arsenal and, and they fully deserved it, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it won't be much comfort to Chelsea fans, certainly, you know, when they woke up on Sunday or maybe even today, but they are in the Champions League. You know, they've, they've got that guaranteed um, and, you know, they're, they're still in this season's Champions League, technically. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Arsenal did need it a bit more. And, and yeah, the turnaround was impressive because... I think, you know, during the 2010s, I suppose, or more the 2000s, we were just used to that game playing out a very specific way. Chelsea win that game 2-0, usually, yeah. don't they? Especially against that Arsenal side. Um, and, and just the way they came back and how and how quickly they came back as well. I think what's what's really interesting is that at the start of the season, I say you could look at that Arsenal side and you can pinpoint individual players who were very good and some players who weren't. And now, we, you know, off the back of that performance, you look at those players who are still doing incredible things like Aubameyang and you actually see the confidence they're able to give the rest of the squad mm. as well because no Arsenal player you know gave any sense that there there was a you know an element of here we go again that might be down to the fact that the season has gone on so long that you might you literally forget the bad times yeah. it's been that long but also as Jim was alluding to there about the kind of confidence that Arteta has been able to breed in this younger club of players. And I, I, I like, so, I mean, this would be interesting to hear you talk about, Jim, because at what point, you know, the FA Cup is always talked of as a bit of an afterthought. I don't buy into the whole, the magic is gone, but it's, it is not really the competition. Anyone starts their season looking out to win. Mm. But when you've won 14 of them, and when you've built a, a really recent history of doing well in the competition, it feels like it does mean a bit more. There are players in that squad now who feel like they're contributing to Arsenal's history. Whereas if Chelsea had won it, it would it might be the you know the first trophy that Mason Mount wins. But in three or four years' time, he'd probably have forgotten about it to an extent, especially when there's no crowd there and that sense of pressure and occasion is is diminished. But with Arsenal players, with Maitland Niles as well, and you know the, his interview at the end of the game, you really got a sense that they feel like they're onto something here, yeah. which is the most important. Thing. I also feel though, Jim, that more clubs looking at the way the season has ended for Arsenal and the fact that Lacazette even said before the game, if we win this today, if we win the FA Cup, this will save our season. Mm. Why don't more teams focus on winning the FA Cup when it does actually have such significance? I know you make some good points, Vish, but really, more teams should be focusing on this cup. I completely agree, actually, because it's like... I the performance and the reaction to it felt like a scream of defiance from Arsenal. And the story around the club is so different now. Imagine if Arsenal had lost and people would be sort of picking and picking apart Completely the wreckage of the season. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea, City and Man United were the, were the semi-finalists. And it, that, that feels like the, the usual suspects, doesn't it? You throw Liverpool in there as well in terms of the, the teams you expect to see, um, it, you know, going all the way. And it's, maybe that's it. Maybe that it's just, it's, 
too daunting for other clubs to try and break up that kind of um, th- that group of teams that are always in there. But I, I, it's it's a huge, huge thing when when a team wins it. A team, you know, a team outside top four winning it would be an incredible thing for them. Um, but I, I wonder if they kind of get blinded by the the riches of the Premier League and and how important it is to to try and get into Europe. Um, but I, I suppose there is that carrot now as well with with the the Europa League qualification. But I, I for one, am glad that they don't. Personally, <laughs> it's ours. <laughs> get off. I, I would say the FA Cup for those teams is quite a, a nice antidote to disappointment during the season, and, and I think Arsenal fans would attest to that. I, th- I think you would. If you could swap places with Chelsea, I know I know it's it's a bit of a naff thing to say because it you know, as you said at the start of the show, goals and winning stuff those are the best bits. Mm. But would you swap positions with Chelsea where you were guaranteed as a Champions League side mm. with their kind of and and also taking on their sense of excitement and you know the fact that they're going to be a completely different beast next season with all yeah. the players they've brought in my head says <laughs> I'm looking at Jim course. now <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like that meme on Twitter that's got all of those numbers going around yeah. it's like what do I say Gal- galaxy brain yeah <laughs> I, I think my head says you would have to sort of take the Champions League qualification because it's um you know, the financial implications, obviously you want to be at the top table and it would probably long-term actually be better for Arsenal. But my 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 heart says that Little actually... Heart wants it's, to win a trophy. Wants to win a trophy. And also, you know, it puts you it puts you back on the road to potentially being being able to qualify for the Champions League. Maybe you can keep some of your better players. It, the buzz around the club means maybe they'll keep Zabayos and who knows what will happen with Aubameyang. I'm sure we'll come on to that. Um... But I think I would actually take the calculated risk that this will act as a launch pad to help get them back into the uh, into the Champions League through through the normal means um, because it is uh, it's a it's a it's a, it's a real buzz. It's a real real buzz seeing your club win something, Best and it's feeling. a rare thing. Yeah, uh, let's talk about Aubameyang then because mm. once again he proved his worth. The second goal was just a thing of magic. Yeah, watching that from every different angle, watching it in slow mo, the finish was brilliant. It that that goal alone just shows you what a top class player he is. To have yeah. a striker in your team that can score 20 plus goals every single season mm. is so valuable. But what he proved in the FA Cup final on Saturday is that he also scores goals in these big yeah. games. And he like he seems to exist in a kind of plane of his own. Do you know what I mean? Like he he's got that glide like with that's, that's a lot of the top players have it. We speak about it a lot, and particularly you see it with Aubameyang, the way he sort of seems to doesn't seem to really break stride that much, but he's moving really fast at the same time. And he does, weirdly for a player that good, he sometimes does miss what you might think are quite easy chances, and it all looks a bit too casual. But I think it's that serenity he has that makes him able to do things like he did for the, for that second goal, like ghost past Kurt Zuma, like he wasn't even there, mm. and just sort of loft the ball over um, Bill Caballero as well, like he wasn't there, like. like both both of those both parts of that goal are so so difficult and even when the ball came over to me I had quite a bit to do and I think it is that that calmness that sets him apart because he's not overthinking anything he knows what he's going to do because his brain works that quick it's, it's, it clearly works faster than a lot of defenders brains and um, it's a huge advantage that he's got that kind of calm you know complete lack of nervousness to it and I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change that about him in terms of you know him sometimes missing a chance that seems a bit frustrating it's, it's, he's a fascinating player to observe yeah yeah the, the um as soon as he takes that first touch past Zuma 
you knew he was going to dink the ball over the keeper. Mm. It was like an Amdram recreation of Messi's goal against Bayern Munich <laughs> when he spins Berto. It was glorious. Yeah. And, and like, you're, you know, what you said there about Aubameyang existing on a different plane, like, you really did get that sense throughout the season whenever he got the ball. Like, Chris Waddle, I remember him, he used to say this thing that he, um, he used to know that fans were expecting him to do something because whenever he'd get the ball on the wing, he would hear like a... Because the people in their um, flip chairs were standing up, wow! So he could hear them. He could hear like the seat oh, hitting that. the back, and you really do get that with a Bamiyang, um, where he gets the ball and suddenly you're like, right, okay, something's going to happen here. Because mm. um, where we sit uh, when you're covering a game um, through the media at uh, the Emirates, and it's on the and Arsenal are kind of attacking down the left, and he's often on the left. You're kind of at the left back position. So you have to kind of stand up. And then you stand up because everyone in the crowd stood mm. up as well. And he is exactly that player that he... I know it's easy to say he harks back to Henri because of not just the position he plays, but the number on his back as well. Mm. But there is really that sense in this team that they look to him as someone that they're going to tell... They'll tell people that they've played with Aubameyang. A lot of those yeah. players will grow up and tell their kids, I played with Aubameyang, who did wonderful things for Arsenal Football Club. Mm. And I think there's there's a lot to be said for that, which makes it all the more important that he stays, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, just in the way, in the same way that Henri stayed for that first bit of the Emirates, I think they need Aubameyang to stay for, for at least another year to get kind of Arteta rolling and, and also actually be, be quite a nice chip to be able to play when you're in negotiations with players and say... You know, we've got high-profile players here. Mm. Yeah, I think Arteta seems very confident about it. I'm not putting too much stock in that because I think he has to kind of sound like that publicly. And Arteta's very good at making the right noises and in, in, in that sense. I'd be, I, I'm kind of resigned to losing him, to be honest, because he's one of the best strikers in the world and Arsenal finished eighth in the Premier League. Like, So hopefully this will make a difference. There was a really interesting article in The Athletic about Aubameyang and what sort of character he is and he, how he isn't necessarily motivated by the things that you might expect a sort of top player to be. Apparently he's very happy in London, loves life there is, and values his own happiness very highly, which obviously you know we all do and you can understand. So that gives me a glimmer of hope, but I'm trying to like just like I'm trying to prepare for the for the eventuality that he does leave. Well, as good as he was on the pitch, uh, not so good at lifting a trophy. Is no, he? well, he's not done it much, has he? To be fair to him. <laughs> oh, this was just so good. You could tell that as soon as he kind of got to the trophy and he looked at, it, he thought. Oh, I don't really know what I'm meant, meant to do next here. Do yeah. I take the base? Do I, do I leave the base? Why is what the base happens? there? He kept, he kept looking at the, his teammates going, guys, help me out. What do I do? Someone someone, t- um, someone told him, oh, leave the base. And he clearly just heard base. So he thought, oh, take the base. Yeah, so he yeah, carried yeah, it yeah. over, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'd have made the same mistake. And he and I share a birthday. So <laughs> what does that tell you? <laughs> Nothing. Arteta was great at the end of the game, though. They were like, oh, you know, what about the trophy drop? He's like, oh, you know, if, if he stays here, we'll get him used to that. Yeah, yeah. Which is very good. Touch of class, yeah. It's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a really good spectacle, wasn't it? Um, when he the- dropped the trophy as well, I loved that it was almost in slow-mo that every single one of the Arsenal team put their hands on their heads and leaned back. Yeah. It was weird. It was almost like they could see it coming and then they all just went, <gasps> <laughs> they won't let us back. Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't know if anyone else spotted this, but because of the COVID-19 rules around um, medals, the medals are left on like a little plinth yes. in, a, in a box. And so every all the players have to go up and collect their own medal. And I'm looking at the amount of medals left in there and I'm going, hang on a minute, there's a few players that have snuck in and yeah. taken a medal when they shouldn't have because <laughs> there aren't enough left. So I don't think Aubameyang got one. Oh, did, you no. see, did you see the blonde work experience kid get one? I think <laughs> yeah. it's Matt Smith, Matt Smith isn't it? Yeah, Matt yeah. Smith. And that's the thing is everyone took a medal and I was thinking, hang on a minute, 
there's not, and you could see, I can't remember who it was, but one of the players was kind of looking and counting them as if to say, we've run out. <laughs> we've not got enough medals here, boys. <laughs> well, Hector Bellerin has obviously oh. already turned his into an earring. <laughs> the drip on that man. Oh. <laughs> He's, uh, I, I'm all over that. I know it's a lot of what people don't like about football, but if you can do it that well, if you can... He's you genuinely can crisp, turned his medal yeah. into an earring. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you've got so many, why not? Yeah. (laughs) A couple of taps around the house. Yeah. It's it's great. Bless him. I think Hector can get away with it because he does a lot of good, sort of socially conscious stuff, doesn't he? So he just looks down good as well. Yeah, he does. He knows, man knows how to dress. He's got a passion for fashion, doesn't he? Apparently, he, um, Part styled the team for the FA Cup final. He he actually co-designed the suits that they wore to Wembley. Absolutely love it. He's great. Um, (laughs) I really feel for America's um, American Christian Pulisic from the USA. Um, Is he from America? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, no I've not really heard no anything ever about it before. It, ever. Yeah, but I think it came up maybe once in commentary. Maybe. Um, but about a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And people and, are, oh, I must remember that. <laughs> I'll never be reminded of it again. <laughs> Did this happen to Clint Dempsey? I don't remember no. it being such a thing for any other player. Um, but people oh, are obsessed with him being American, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they really, really are. Uh, but. Um, his scream before he oh. before he shot, like the the slow mo of, of his injury, where he's he's already screaming in agony before he's taken the shot, was yeah. was horrible. Chelsea, to be fair to them, they they got really unlucky with with three pretty horrible injuries. You got to feel for Pedro as always, last game for them because he was like he seemed to be at double speed. He was so he looked so motivated. He was so fast. He looked really dangerous, and that's a that's just a real shame for that for his Chelsea career to end like that. Yeah, um, Pedro is one of those players where I, I think you know Chelsea fans will have appreciated the quality he brought to mm. that side. I don't think the rest of the Premier League really did, because so I don't think we you know we often have like predilections of how players when they come from Barcelona we kind of expect them to be you know. Just basically take the league by storm because he yeah. was part of that front three with Barca with um, David Villa and, and Lionel Messi, um, and they were just magnificent. And obviously, he comes to Chelsea and he's got to play a slightly different role. But mm. yeah, it'd be, it'd be it'd be actually quite interesting to read some of some of the um, Chelsea appreciation of him because he's an incredible player and one of those players you kind of I think we'll miss him when he's gone. I don't think we'll yeah. really realise yeah. how how much he brought to to the Premier League. And, and same for Willian, actually. I kind of hope he stays in somewhere because he's been a nice mm. handy addition. you got to really feel for Chelsea though because after starting the game so well and getting that early goal, pretty much anything that could have gone wrong did with injuries, sendings off. Let's talk about the referee because there were a couple of big decisions. First of all, Kovacic is sending off after two yellow cards and then the situation with Martinez, whether mm. or not he caught the ball in or outside of the box or on the line. Anthony Taylor was the referee on the day. Marks out of 10 Vish. I'm going to give him a gentleman's five. Jim? <laughs> yeah, my heart says ten, obviously. <laughs> uh, but my, my, I think five, five, I'm going to go six. Um, and I think that might be some bias creeping in. I don't think he, uh, I don't think it was great. Let's talk about the Kovacic sending off first of all. Is it a sending off for you? Uh, no, it's very soft. But ice cream is soft and that's also brilliant. <laughs> um, but, you know, again, maybe I'm a little bit biased here. I think, it's, I think that's really unlucky. Shall like, I just ask Vish all these questions yeah, about the referee? Yeah, yeah, you know what uh, I think. Vish, sending off? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I don't, again, we're going to talk about VAR and I, and I kind of hate that a little bit because it's been covered a lot on this podcast and done very well. But 
I don't really know what it's for if it's not going to kind of, uh, you know, at least look at something like that. It's, it's a silly it's seen... rule. It's a silly rule that they can only interfere when it's a straight red card because when it's two yellow cards, that makes a red card. So they yeah. should be mm. able to get involved in those. And it's a really stupid rule and has to be changed for next season, I think. But it, but it's a rule that's been stupid for a while, long before VAR. You know, it used to be the case that you couldn't review a second yellow card, but you could review a straight red card. Yeah. It's a little bit, what number are we thinking of? It yes, seems very yeah, arbitrary, yeah. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. It, they had to draw the line somewhere and they've drawn it in the worst possible place. Um, yeah, I just, I, just, I just didn't think it was a foul. I mean, it, it, it definitely changed the game. Whether it would have changed it more in Chelsea's favour is a different matter entirely. But yeah, I mean, and even the... You know, on reflection, I don't think the Emi Martinez um, taking the ball out of his box was handball. I thought he cut it very fine there. Yeah. But it was close. It was close. It was yeah. very close. There's an image, a blurry image doing the rounds on social media that makes it look like, look like it's outside of the box. And seeing that, because the BBC didn't really play it first, but I, which is where I watched it, because um, I knew you went on BT, too, so what's the point? Um, <laughs> um, and it looked... It, there's that blurry image that makes it look like he's handled it outside, but apparently that's before he's caught the ball because he came out to come back in. Um, so there's a video that's shown actually it was on the line and it, it was just actually pretty amazing goalkeeper from the emotional Emmy Martinez. So. But the, like, just even that, like, there's a photo on Twitter that shows it out. I mean, like, you know, there's probably a photo on Twitter that shows it as a blue dress as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never put any stock in it. Yeah, that. quite. Yeah. The, the trouble is, is that, as you say, Jim, on the BBC's coverage, which I'm sure the majority of people in the UK watch, I think they had over 8 million viewers watching the FA Cup final on Saturday, which is a record for a football match in this country. And they didn't show the replay at the time. They did show it post-match and they did a bit of analysis around it and, and explained that it was indeed on the line, therefore in the box. But at the time, because it wasn't shown, it meant that all the viewers who were watching that coverage were kind of like, hang on a minute, why are they not showing this? And yeah. you could look at it one of two ways. You could look at it and think they've not shown it because they know they've got it wrong. Or you can look at it and go, oh, they've not shown it because it was clearly in. Yeah, And it was one of those weird situations that not showing the replay and the commentators talking about it, but without being able to see another clip of it, made it so confusing for fans at home watching. And of course, there's no fans in the stadium. So everyone was watching from home and everyone was just as confused. Yeah, I really thought we'd got away with one. And it would have been nice to have some sort of confirmation of whether whether we had or hadn't. Because it's, you know, it's not really... Did the BBC care if someone's got it wrong? You know, it's not on them, no, is it? Like, not, why they, no. It's strange to not show it. It must have just been an error, I'm assuming, from inside the gallery, a production error. They maybe didn't have the shot at the time. That's my mm. that's my guess. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say there's any great conspiracy theory there. Yeah. Although, although, like, Ian Wright was so bouncy during it, he might <laughs> he have just pulled the plug on it. Apparently the players could hear him on the pitch. Did you I, hear love that? That. Yes. I love that. I love that. I think that's brilliant. They've Shame. got their own cheerleader from up on the stands. Well, there's a, there's a clip of, I can't remember who the defender was, but in the first half, Pepe does this lovely little Cruyff turn through someone's legs mm. and you can hear cackling. You know, like you would if you play like eleven side or five aside, or like that happens in the stands, but the noise of everyone else kind of drowns it out. And I'm pretty sure that was Ian Wright. Yeah. <laughs> well, BT Sport had Joe Cole as part of their coverage, and they were also there. So hey, Joe Cole should have given it just as much as Ian Wright. Yeah. They would have had equal cheerleaders either <laughs> side. Um, let's talk a bit more about Martinez and what an amazing story this season has been for him. Yeah incredible story and you could see just how emotional he was he couldn't even speak yeah. in his first post-match interview and you just know all of the emotion 
behind that just it just meant so much to him didn't it yeah i mean i'm sure everyone's seen this but he's been at arsenal for 10 years and he's played something like you know 40 games in the first team and it's been had a lot of loan spells he moved over when he was young he didn't he didn't really have anyone to help him integrate you know a lot of his family are back in argentina so he's worked so hard for this opportunity and it's, it's really beautiful that he's managed to sort of um have such a just have some tangible success at the, at the end of that road and it's it creates a bit of a headache for arteta mm. because you know any successful team you need someone who is not necessarily happy to play second fiddle but accepts that they are going to be you know the second choice goalkeeper for the season and after this situation is martinez going to want to do that he's clearly good enough to to be a number one um um, it's been really good for this last bit of the season, hasn't he? Really, really good. And do you just wonder, will he, will he be able to to oust Leno long term? Possibly, he will. He looks like he's got the quality too. I mean, the, the you know, the how old new, is he? Uh, Leno or Martinez? Martinez. I'm, I'm, he's in his twenties. Okay. Um, he's been at the club a long, long time. Yeah, I think he's twenty seven. Yeah, he yeah. came over when he was seventeen. Been here for ten years. Yeah. So I mean, the new Premier League season starts in what is it two weeks? So you know, <laughs> he, he might still be still be in goal at that point. Um, but it's it's a funny one for Arteta. It really, really is like. Like, do you want a sort of lame and Almunia situation? I think it will be a lot more mature than that. Um, but I guess we'll see. Mm, I love the fact that he celebrated in style, though, Vish, with a McDonald's. He did. Yeah. He did. And I hope he got a fillet of fish because he looks like a fillet of fish, man. And that is the best thing to get. No, it's not. He what absolutely... are you talking I will, about? You get... I will die on this fillet hill. of fish. I know, right? You get people like this. Who right? wants I swear a by of it. Fish? What? Fish, yeah. come on. Honestly, look, T- talk I, us through I'm it. not going to mansplain something to you, but I'm going to fatsplain it to you. The fillet of fish <laughs> is the best sandwich you can get at McDonald's, unquestionably. I'm not joking at all. I thought only my mum ordered a fillet of fish. No, no, no. Well, your mum's got it right. <laughs> Pay more attention to it. I've always said that. <laughs> Mama B. The other thing about Emiliano Martinez is the, the interview at the end of the game, Like obviously because he was really upset, but he goes on to talk about how his parents made this sacrifice to him and he wanted to show them that it was for something. He wanted mm. to, he literally wanted to bring something tangible back to Argentina. To say, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, you know, they travel better as well, actually. <laughs> but like, you know, he wanted to bring a medal back to show them that this sacrifice wasn't worth it. And I think like, I think that that genuinely really struck me and kind of took me aback when I saw that and then read the quotes because we like certainly in my job as a sports writer, we really reach to kind of describe football of all sports in every man and every woman terms, um, because it isn't like fundamentally it isn't. It might be a meritocratic sport, but the monies and the sums involved tend to isolate it from the rest of society. But then, like to see a guy who was worried for a moment that the graft of his parents, well, through the graft of his parents, that they might have thought that he. That he wasn't worth it in some way. He wouldn't be defined by how well he did on the weekend, but the fact that he was still struck by that and had such a release of emotion yeah. was something that I think we can all yeah. identify with some way or another. It was a really lovely story and a wonderful way to kind of cap off the final piece of this domestic season, Arsenal winning the FA Cup for the 14th time. Jim, do you want to have a final word on your beloved Arsenal? Um, I'm just grinning. I'm just... <laughs> Like a Cheshire Yeah, I, I am like a, like a Cheshire twat. Just delighted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're going to talk about Serie A wrapping up after the break, as well as a brilliant story. We've got a new member of the EFL, Harrogate, have been promoted for the first time, and Eddie Howe has left Bournemouth. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramble. This is the Football Ramble with me, Jules. I'm here with Vish and Jim today. Before we get on to talking about Seria and Eddie Howe, a quick update about our latest Patreon competition. Over the weekend, we ran another one of our monthly competitions for our Patreon subscribers. And boys, we have a winner. Congratulations to Paul Halton Drager. You've just won a brand new 32 gig iPad. We're going to be in touch this week, Paul. So make sure you look out for that. There's loads of extra content available for all our Patreon subscribers for as little as $5 a month. So sign up at patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Lots more to get through. Uh, it's been a busy weekend, actually. Serie A uh, has wrapped up, which brings all the top European leagues to a close in this longest season ever. As we know, Juve secured a ninth consecutive title with two games to go, but they ended the domestic campaign with just two wins in their final eight matches and Inter finished second. They were only behind on one point, which makes it look as though the title race was a lot closer than it was. Yeah, it does. And also there's talk of Antonio Conte. It's sad enough. So he might be on his way. Talk of Max Allegri coming in because of course, because like, you know, it seems like to, if you're going to be a true Italian great, you've got to manage both Milan clubs and Juventus mm. and that just to be fine somehow. You, I just can't imagine that no. happening here. Um, it just wouldn't. Yeah. But it, it, it yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It's a strange, it seems so close. Like it feels like no one's legitimately got anywhere close to, to Juve for years and years and years. And it's just, uh, just tiresome now, isn't Bizarre, it? Bizarre though, because they ended the season so kind of flat, Juve, and you, you almost feel like they probably just thought, oh, we've won it now. Yeah. Who really cares? Which is not like them. Not like them at all. But they lost at home for the first time in 40 matches. Does that, is that maybe a glimmer of hope for next season that someone could actually just like dethrone them? Yeah, well, I think Inter, they, they fancy it, don't they? It's the first time they finished second since 2011. So maybe they sense that with or without Conte, maybe it's their time to dethrone them. Mm. Oh, they'll win it again, won't they? And <laughs> again, and again, again, and again. It's the, yeah, I, I, there is something brilliant happening in Serie A, which is that the, the kits are starting to go a bit mad. You've seen um, <laughs> Inter's new away kit is like, kind of got a weird kind of strange, it almost looks like a... Almost looks like a greenhouse from the inside, like an abstract <laughs> greenhouse from the inside. And Juventus's new home kit, the lines are almost like they've been drawn on with marker pen. I quite right, like okay. it. They're just they're getting experimental. Like I bought a lot of really needlessly flamboyant clothes during the lockdown. Um, 
I think a lot of people did, and it seems like football's done the same. I thoroughly enjoy that. your selection of shirts, Jim. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's a great selection of shirts. I like this little nautical. Is it nautical today? Uh, they're little pyramids, I little think. Oh, pyramids, I thought they were little yeah. boats. Oh, they do look like boats, actually. Cute. Well, there you go. If you, can't, you can't tell whether it's a pyramid or a boat, so clearly it's <laughs> flamboyant in some way. What about Immobile winning the golden shoe in Europe? His 36th goal of the season in Lazio's 3-1 loss to Napoli on Saturday means that he is the winner of the gold, the golden shoe. It's a weird saying, I love isn't it? it? Yeah, it's strange. We were saying just before we came on, it does seem like a missed opportunity for a brand, doesn't it? Mm. Like the golden Birkenstock, I believe you <laughs> mentioned, Vish. Um, but yeah, it's a hell of an achievement. Incredible, I think 36 goals. People are saying that it's not quite as meaningful as Iguain's because a lot of them were penalties and it, the, the Iguain, like, only like three or four of his were penalties, I think. But um, There'll always be something. Yeah. There? There'll always be something that'll like, bug a hole in it. I feel like that's a thing that that gets mentioned in Europe but doesn't ever get mentioned in the Premier League because whoever wins the Golden Boot in the Premier League no one was, no one really ever goes yeah but half of them are penalties yeah well, they, do you remember they did that with Andy Johnson when he was at Palace yes he, he asked a Brighton fan oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah fraud fraud <laughs> he is a ball, could be a ball fraud actually yeah it fits the bill yeah um, I think Steve Bruce once scored 19 goals in a season for Man United like that sink in 19 goals yeah. a lot, something like 9 or 9 Nine or ten of them were penalties, but still, Steve Bruce <laughs> scored 19 goals in a season. It just makes Danny Ings' achievement this year even better because none of his goals were penalties yeah. and he finished, what was it, one behind Jamie Vardy? Yeah, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interesting to see what happens with Danny Ings in the summer to see if he sticks around or not. But yeah, I, I mean, I've sort of forgotten about Chris Smalling's Roma and Ashley Young's Inter and how <laughs> like interesting Serie A has been for a lot of reasons this season. And it's it's ended how it always ended. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a potential like ticking off point here at the end where Lazio finished fourth, but they'd miss out on Champions League, uh, Champions League football if Napoli win the Champions League, which isn't going to happen, and Roma win the Europa League, which might happen. Mm, might happen. Chris Smalling's Roma. <laughs> well, there we go. I'm sure there'll be so much more chat, particularly with Andy Brassel later on this week about uh, Serie A wrapping up and also as we build up towards the Champions League, which returns later on this week as well. Let's talk about Eddie Howe. Oh, oh this is such sad news. Just after the FA Cup win, I'm sure, Jim, you would probably still celebrate. You probably didn't even notice until the next day. <laughs> no, you know what? There's something something about Eddie Howe being sad that really upsets me and I feel like we've been seeing it all season and yeah. uh, I'm not going to say it took the shine off because um, it's a very shiny cup. <laughs> Um, but it, it, I was separately sad about it. I can compartmentalise these things. Yeah, it's it's a sad story because of just how long he's been at the club, first of all. 11 years, he joined there in 2009. Mm. But what well, he's he played there the as club, well, didn't he, yeah, for a long time? exactly. The story behind his managerial rise at Bournemouth as well, what he's done for the club, taking them from the bottom of League 2 to the Premier League, keeping them in the Premier League for five years is an incredible achievement. But also all the other stuff he's done at the club, changing the culture around the club, keeping a set of players, developing players. There's so many mm. brilliant things that Eddie Howe has done. And because he's so synonymous with that football club, which you just don't really get in modern football anymore, it was a really sad bit of news to hear that he's left Bournemouth by mutual consent on Saturday, even though none of us are Bournemouth fans and none of us really have any kind of connection to Bournemouth. Yeah. But it's just a story that we like and we don't really see very often in football, Vish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you touched on it perfectly there with regards to it's just, it can't really happen now, actually, you know, for because there was so much on being a Premier League team that the fact that he was able to sustain it for this long and even even their demise this season comes as a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, I know they, they didn't do particularly well couple of pre well you know season before but I don't think we expected them to be 
down there and and so kind of unequivocally down there i suppose is a weird way of putting it but yeah i, I think what's always telling with when when anyone loses their job um in sport it's the you can often go on twitter and see if you know people who are coached by them or played alongside them what they what they say about them and if there are any kind of well wishes um and it, it kind of gives you an insight into actually how loved they were from the club because the the out you know the perception on the outside is very different to the reality inside and the number of well wishes on twitter from mm. former players from current players mm. um it really says a lot actually because if, if you look at you know you talked about their rise there that's a rise that makes players careers you know he's and such a quick rise as well exactly he and and uh, yeah you got to remember you know there's a lot of talk about the money he spent that didn't go particularly right but then you know he brought, got in Josh King on a free with some compensation from Blackburn um I think um what's it Callum Wilson was only three million as well um but then yeah you know there are older players like Steve Steve Fletcher who would have had no dream of playing higher than he was and and is now a coach at the club um all the way through to someone like David Brooks giving a young kid the mm. chance to shine on the Premier League stage. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad to see. Um, and the, the other important thing um, when talking about this is at no point did Bournemouth become a basket case of a club because no. when you rise that quickly and when you do have that kind of money put into you, it's very easy to... We, we saw what happened to Watford this season. You panic and suddenly everything goes to, to shit, really, and mm. you start just making really stupid, obnoxious footballing decisions that end up affecting personnel and people's lives. And that wasn't Bournemouth. And I hope it doesn't become Bournemouth after mm. anyhow leaves, because I think it would be a shame to ruin not just the legacy of his club, but his particular legacy as well. Yeah, yeah. it does feel like an end of an era, doesn't it, Jim? And I guess there's two questions we need to look at here. First of all, what next for Eddie Howe and who next for Bournemouth? I'm going to read out this email from Rob Scott. We're going to tackle the what next for Eddie Howe first. Now, Rob says, personally, as a Newcastle fan, I'd love it if we got Eddie Howe. He's got a track record of getting bang average championship players to play entertaining football, which would help our team out. It could even be like when Martinez came to Everton. He inherited a decent defence and taught them how to attack. We can just ignore what happened the season after. If Howe is smart enough, though, he'll stay away and not deal with this shit show. I love that Rob has had his own kind of journey in his mind as he's writing that email. He's like, please come to Newcastle. Actually, do you know what, don't. Yeah, yeah, save yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's show at footballrambledaily.com, by the way, if you want to send us an email. Yeah, I think uh, that, that's a, that's an interesting point. And Newcastle are an interesting case in point in terms of where you would look at for, for how to go next. Because if you look through the just through the Premier League standings, I think we're all assuming he's good enough for a Premier League job. His stock was certainly high enough that I think he can take the hit of a relegation for someone to take a chance on him. But like, just where? Just where he's going to have to wait around for a vacancy to become available, and poor old Steve Bruce, like the vultures are kind of circling the whole time, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, just because of the weird situation at Newcastle. But I actually think uh, that, that Rob is right in the email there; he should stay away from that because there's so much uncertainty around them, and this is this next job is so important for him, isn't it? It's he's got to get this one right because you could you could end up in a situation where similar to, to to Alan Kerbishley, where he was at Charlton and he worked wonders for a long, long time. He was synonymous with the club and he, he left and ended up at West Ham. It didn't quite work out. And then you just become one of the guys on the managerial merry-go-round, you know, like he needs to find a club uh, that's going to sort of take him, that's going to take his status forward again. And it, it's hard to see who that is, really. I mean, I know he grew up supporting Everton and 
you know, there will be changes within three or four months within the Premier League. There always are. Some of them will be really surprising. That's just how it is. And how's name will be linked. Could he even go abroad? He seems a, a dynamic, you know, interesting, focused person. He Maybe he will want to sort of go and cut his teeth elsewhere. Like, I... I just don't know where he's going to land. Everton or Newcastle seem possibilities, but like that's just just pure speculation, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just given by the way he's worked so far and the success he's had, I would say it's, it would be counterproductive for him to take a job into a season. I think he needs kind of a good preseason and a good run up into you know a full campaign because that seems to be how he gets the most out of his players you know they it's a it's a style of football that is engaging to watch but does take a lot of work basically so if you're going to be dropped into a team often that'll be a team that battling against re- relegation or worried about relegation so therefore the players you have at your disposal wouldn't be yours but you'd have to also play a different way which is why you know we poke fun at it but it's why there is that kind of Churn. roller decks of of managers who are just used to getting out of relegation yes. because you can make a really fruitful career it's a hell of a skill isn't it i mean yeah, we might mock these people but is in its own sense it is elite isn't yeah. it i worry for eddie howe that if he perhaps takes a whole season you kind of you know your stock can actually rise a bit if you've you know if, if the reason you're out of a job is forgotten and if it goes a whole season, he might have no choice but to take the England job next summer. And not, that's not something you should wish on anyone, really, is it? Gareth's doing a great job, but you know, that is, that, you know, it's the exception that proves the rule. I, I, th- I think the thing he should do is just basically take time away from the game. It's got to be exhausting. He said that in his letter, didn't he, that he wants a bit of time off now. He wrote yeah. a letter to the board. Of course board, he wrote but a letter. Oh, it was oh. cute. Um, and he did say at the end of it, for now, he wants to focus on his family and just take a bit of time out. Yeah. And, and we wish him the best of luck, and I'm sure we will see him managing back in the top flight soon. What about who next for Bournemouth Fish? Because this is where it's going to be really interesting and where it's tricky, actually, because it's big boots to fill, isn't it? He's been at the club, as we say, for such a long time. He's created a culture, but not only is there going in and kind of managing that club who are so used to having a particular figure managing the team and coaching the team, but on top of that, they're in the championship now the hardest league to get out of. The Bournemouth fans want to see them back in the Premier League, but it's not easy to to make an immediate return. No, not at all. So so I actually wrote a piece for The Independent um, today about the Championship and how basically in the last 10 years... What time did you get up this morning? (laughs) Right, yesterday, yeah. (laughs) Okay. And I kind of ate into a bit this morning. But but yeah, but basically in the last 10 years, there's been a real kind of tactical shift in the Championship. And that, that kind of came from the transfer market eating itself and... Therefore, teams looking at kind of bargain buys in Europe, so like in the second division or like, you know, the second tiers of German and Dutch football. And over the last five years, that's become more pronounced to the extent that we see, you know, Marcelo Bielsa in the Premier League with Leeds uh, and also the way Brentford have done things ahead of their playoff final tomorrow. But there are loads of other clubs in the Championship who've done that as well. And so in the time that Bournemouth have been out of the Championship, it's kind of completely changed and more teams are doing it like Bournemouth are doing it. Mm. And so I, I kind of worry actually because when if you're going to get a new manager, you're gonna they're going to obviously want to do things their way and bring in their own team. And they might have the same kind of vision that Eddie Howe has, but they'll need their own people as well. And when you've been in the club for so long and because of the influence Eddie Howe had, a lot of people around him are people that he chose, are his his generals for want of a better word. Um, and so there might be have to be a bit more of a refurb. You might we might end up seeing more coaches leaving, not through any fault of their own or because there's any blame for for them to carry, but just because that's how football works and we're gonna get a clear out of maybe not well, obviously players will be picked off here and there and Nathan Aki 
is one that's already going to go, and Callum Wilson as well, probably, and David Brooks. But generally, the core of players will, will remain, but it will be the wider coaching staff and even other people that might actually mean that Bournemouth might, well, will have to rejig their hierarchy, maybe thinking about getting in the people who did all the extra bits that that Eddie Howe used to do, maybe getting in you know, like a, a, a proper director of football so mm. that the next coach can, can actually come in and, and just coach. So, you know, you, you've really pulled out the heart of a, of a club there and it was absolutely the right thing to do, I think. But with that comes, uh, I suppose we're going to see a bit more turnover and it's not going to be easy for, for Bournemouth, definitely mm. not. There's been talk of Jason Tindall sort of stepping up from the assistant's position, but you wonder, is that is that wise? Is that more of the same, but without... What made it work? Yeah. That might that might be uh, actually a bit of a kind of delay of the inevitable, which is getting over the how um, ad- administration. And there's also talk of John Terry, which is an easy headline, John Cherry. Um, but you'd, <laughs> you'd like you wonder about that again. But like, I think any name other than How seems quite quite shocking, doesn't it? And do you go for someone who's 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 new and hungry, which Terry absolutely would be, or do you go for a sort of experienced head? It's like it's just. I think we're going to see what we often see, which is exactly what you just alluded to. It might be a, a smaller version of the Man United situation where it's just like it's just not going to work for a bit, and it's going to be a bit turbulent. Mm. But that said, they are going to for a Championship team, given the the resale value of a lot of the players they have at the club and the. In fact, they, they do have a wealthy owner, which is a you know a big part of why they managed to do what they did. They will, you know, they they'll probably be okay in, for a few seasons to get that right. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how everything pans out there at Bournemouth. But best of luck to Eddie Howe and his future and to the club as well. Right. A couple of things to end on. First of all, a massive congratulations to Harrogate, who are in the Football League for the first time ever. It was the National League playoff final yesterday at Wembley and they beat Notts County 3-1. It's their second promotion in three seasons. They only became a professional club in 2017-18. It's an incredible achievement. And whenever you see a new member of the Football League. It just fills you with so much happiness that you yeah. just know there's going to be this new fan base around the club. They're going to attract more fans and hopefully a long time to stay in the Football League. Absolutely. it's uh, It was a hell of a game as well, yeah. wasn't it? It was really, it was played at a breakneck pace and... Um, uh, the, the the scorer of the third goal was a guy called Jack Diamond and it what was a name. proper like flash little flick in as well it's like oh that is exactly what you want from this sort of game John Stead as well the indefati- indefatigable John Stead is still playing at 37 and, and, and having an impact and I actually feel like of all the games I've watched that have made me sad there are no fans this is the, the main one because yeah. it's like that is a to go up into the football league for the first time in your history that that is a that's a really really incredible thing it's 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 kind of hard to really find an equivalent um it, I don't know it's like you're your high school band getting a record deal. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so it's a shame that there weren't uh, people there to see it, but I don't think they necessarily cared because it was a pretty, um, pretty dominant win from Harrogate as well. Yeah. So It's an incredible performance and a brilliant achievement. And to, to know that it's, it's such a small club as well, they get on average around about 1500 fans turning up to their, to their games week on week during the season and to know now that hopefully that can grow as they go into the football league we'll have to wait and see how it all pans out but but great as well that the the manager and the chairman a father and son partnership it's just a lovely story isn't it Vish yeah yeah I mean that game could have been like 8-4 couldn't it there's so many missed chances it's pretty incredible um yeah it's always nice seeing new teams you know like without wishing to um nail my colours to the mask so soon but it's kind of one of the reasons we want Brentford well, I say we 
Well, getting Brentford in the Premier League will be quite nice. Everyone except Marco. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm chuffed for John Stead as well. I interviewed him earlier in the season and he was so, so lovely. And I was like, I remember you. And he yeah. still he still looks yeah. exactly like does he? Does and, and I love um, that despite his, the length of his career, it's his first appearance at Wembley. And I just love things like that, like a story like that where he's done the rounds. He's played for so many different clubs, yet in his entire career, never an appearance at Wembley and he's finally got there and to get a win as well yeah. chuffed for him very nearly scored at the end as well mm. uh, alright now you talked about it could have been 8-4 uh, let's talk about <laughs> lots of goals in the Austrian football second tier yes we're, we're going into Europe and we're going into the Austrian second tier because this is a phenomenal story now bear with me let me try and explain things to you now in the Austrian second tier only one team go up to the top division as champions and going into the final day of the season on Friday, the top two teams were separated only by goal difference. But it was quite a significant goal difference. Five, it was 34 to 29. You'd say that's quite a big goal difference that you don't think would be kind of overturned on the final day of the season. Now, Ried ended up winning promotion after they beat Floridsdorfer 9 Nil. Fine. Nine nil. Just normal. Right? Second place, Klagenfurt, won their final game 6-1. And they were like, hang on a minute, something fishy's going on here. They complained that the nine nil losers had let five players go on holiday before the game. Rotation. Mm. Bit of rotation. And that every time Claggy scored, they seemed to concede another goal. So it was like, we score, you score. We score, you score. Uh, Floridsdorfer have apologised for the shambles of a performance. <laughs> Who thinks something fishy's going on? Well, yeah, they have, they have apologised though, haven't they? Yeah. So, Doesn't make it all right, does it? Imagine having defend, to defend yourself against that. It's like, look, whoa, look, we might be utter shit, but we have some integrity here. <laughs> Just... We legitimately are that bad. It's like it's not an easy sell, is it? It's, it's just really the way. Not. It's just the way. Like because of the way you read it out, it's like things develop. They're like, well, we just we just had a bad game. We apologise for that. What about the five lads? You went. Are you allowed to go on holiday? They had um, annual leave left over. <laughs> they had to take it before next season because we only carry over five days. I think is that the rule? So apparently, there might be an investigation. Might would, be. Yeah, might I would think be there will be. <laughs> I like the way they've they could have even done some like really primitive like sleuthing on this as well. They just looked at both scores like so. We scored in the sixty-first minute. And then they scored in the 63rd. And then we scored in the 74th. They scored three in the 76th minute. I wonder who was work? standing by with a phone watching the yeah. score update from the other game come in and going, hang on a minute. Hang on, wait, what? Another Giving goal? some sort of hand signal. Yeah. Like, yeah let another one in. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we are. We've wrapped up today's show with a bit of Austrian football. What a bloody treat. Uh, Vish, Jim, thank you very much for your company today. It's been an absolute joy. What a weekend, Jim, eh? Mm. What a weekend. <laughs> Look at the smile I'm just happy face. for Jim. Yeah. I'm happy I'm not, for him. I'm happy for me. <laughs> I'm very happy for you. Well, on tomorrow's show, Marcus, Luke and Pete are going to be here previewing the most lucrative match in football, the Championship Playoff Final. I'll make sure you join them for that tomorrow. This was a Stakhanov production. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. 
Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.